Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 122. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Welcome to Thread. This is a podcast for believers who want to increase the level of their impact, uh, whether you're seeking to have influence on your family, at work, in school, or as a leader of a ministry or nonprofit. Thread's a verse-by-verse Bible study, and my goal is to set before you a solid meal from God's Word so you'll have the strength to journey deeper into your calling as an agent of change in your generation. I think you're going to enjoy today's thread. We are back on the conversation of, that we've been having about closure. Times, uh, you know, there are times that you enter a new group, and then there's there are those times in life when you have to leave. And especially now, we're talking about when you leave as the leader, and you're having to vacate a leadership role that you've been serving in and hand it off to other people. And that's what we're going to watch Paul do as he leaves the city of Ephesus, which is the the most successful thing he ever did in his ministry in terms of numbers. Uh, It all happened in Ephesus, and now it's time for Paul to move on and go to his next assignment, and we're going to see lessons from Paul about leadership. This is just a beautiful passage that we're going to be looking at today. We're in Acts chapter 20. But let me give you four pointers before we even get started. Uh, four pointers about when you leave. Because, I mean, I've been serving in so many different roles in my life. And there are times that you feel so much pressure and maybe things aren't going well. And you're indecisive yourself. And you get discouraged because you're being resisted by the spirit world. And you're resisted in your own mind. And then a lot of times there's conflict because actually something like 70% of the time when someone leaves a uh, leadership role in ministry, it's because of a conflict with an individual. So, you know, we can't quit every time those things happen to us. We have to push through. But there are times when you should leave. But let's talk about when you never leave. Real quick, let me give you four pointers. Number one, never leave in the middle of a crisis. It's like the captain abandoning the ship, you know, when it's a in a disaster situation. If the captain will stay at the wheel, uh, everybody is going to come out of that situation a whole lot better than if the captain abandons ship to save himself or just because he can't deal with it. So never leave your group if they're going through a crisis. You just have to stay there and get through the crisis. Even if you know you're going to leave afterwards, you don't leave when, when they're in the lowest point. You stay there as a good shepherd. You're not a hireling. Your shepherd, and you stay in your role. Don't leave in a crisis. Uh, you here's when you do leave. You can leave when you're on top of a rise. So as you ramp up to a big success and things are going very well, and you can you can see the finish line coming. If if you've had it in your heart that you need to move on to something else, this is a really good time to make a transition because the organization has momentum. And anytime you change leaders, you lose momentum. And so, you know, when you've got them on top of a crest and they've got momentum behind them, this great victory has just come to them, things are going really well, that's a good time to switch leaders. Because even if they lose a step or two, they're still going to be in the race. Uh, Third thing, 
don't leave until you've trained a strong set of level two leaders. So if you know you want to leave, you can't leave. You can't leave until you've got someone, somebody else trained. Don't just turn to the group and say, I hope you can find a leader. Look down. I'm not talking about the next senior leader so much as the ones under them. You know, like the, the second level of leaders that are in your organization, you need to spend a lot of time with those people because if they all rise up, they stabilize the situation. You know, I've, I've known of large churches that went more than a year without a pastor and did not fall apart because they had depth of um, competence in the team. They had other people who, you know, did pastoral care and it, it didn't feel leaderless, you know. They were looking for the right person, but they, they wanted to make sure it was a good fit. And so if you will uh, train a strong set of level two leaders, you are building for the future for this organization. And then finally, never leave until after you publicly transfer leadership to your successors. Uh, If you have the authority to do so, you should have a ceremony of some kind, even if it's a modest thing. Uh, There needs to be a moment when everybody sees you endorse this new person and you pass off the authority to them and give them your blessings. That's really, really important. Okay, now, let's jump into the Scripture and see Paul live all this out. So, uh, we're in chapter 20. Let's start with verse 4. Verse 4 mentions seven men. Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus. And he mentions these seven men. He's got them going with him, and they are from at least seven, uh, sorry, four different regions. So he's really working on this second level of leaders. And he's got this organization now that's very nicely um, spread out geographically because Paul's not just the pastor of a single church. He has launched Christianity. He has launched the Christian movement in the region of Asia Minor, which today we call Turkey. And he's been in the city of Ephesus, and being in that city, um, there are a number of small groups, because remember that Christianity did not have large buildings for 300 years. They just met in homes. They met wherever they were allowed to meet, but they were scattered all through the city. It wasn't just one group that met. And it spilled over into the countryside and the provinces, and people had carried it to the next town. So there was a, a large network now of small Christian communities, and they needed a whole um, team of leaders. And Paul was working to develop these seven individuals so that they could take up leadership. Well, now Paul, as he's, as he's leaving Ephesus, he's left the city of Ephesus, but he begins to now do a circle uh, and he's going out in the provinces little by little, farther and farther away from Ephesus. And in major towns, he's stopping and he's gathering all the Christian leaders and he's giving them a leadership talk on his way out. Uh, chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, talks about Paul going to the town of Troas. And he couldn't be there in the day. The people couldn't gather. You know, a lot of people were slaves in those days, over 60% of, of the population was in some form of, of servitude. And so people had to wait until they had served their masters and they were released for the day to gather many times. And so Paul gets them at night and he just continues to 
pour in and he's empowering these leaders. He's got a lot to say and he fears he'll never see them again. And Luke actually says that Paul over talked. Uh, when you read it uh, in the original, Luke says Paul talked on and on. And he's just, you know, he's wanting to make sure that he's giving everybody everything that he can. And uh, Troas is where you have this very human moment that's introduced into the story. <laughs> and somebody that has a lot of, um, of, he just keeps it real. His name's Eutychus. And on the one hand, Paul's there and Paul's all anointed and he's passionate about the kingdom of God and he's stirring everybody up about leadership. But, you know, he's been going for a couple hours and he just keeps going. And so Paul's in the moment. Okay, now this is a pointer for speakers. Uh, just because you're having a good time speaking doesn't mean everybody out in the crowd is, is wanting you to keep on going. And so Eutychus is in the window and he kind of snuggles into the window, seal pulls, pulls his legs up. And he leans in and he just falls asleep in the middle of this. And, you know, that happens all the time. So you got Paul and he's, he's just feeling so on fire. And then, but the congregation is having different experiences. Luke's saying he's talking on and on. And Eutychus just falls asleep and then tragically tumbles out the window, falls down on his neck and dies. And everybody runs downstairs and there's, you know, there's, it's a crisis and, and it's a, it's one of those sad, ironic situations, and they gather around him, but, you know, this is where, the, where God is good. And so here's Paul, and Eutychus is downstairs dead, and Paul runs to him, and he falls on his body, verse 10. He embraces him, and then he says, do not trouble yourselves. His life is in him. And they, um, they apparently took him away, and he rested somewhere, and then in verse 12, after Paul and the others have had a meal and the sun is coming up, he leaves them and they bring Eutychus in to see him. And Paul is so happy that he's not dead. He's still alive and God had mercy on him. So keeping it real in the church house. All right. So Paul travels and he goes about 30 miles away again. They're traveling by foot and Paul travels away from Ephesus to a town called Miletus. And in Miletus, he sends a message back to Ephesus to tell the elders to come and see him. And the, um, this is one of the most precious passages in the whole Bible, if you care about God's people. Like, I mean, if, if it rests on your heart to look after other people spiritually and that the sense of responsibility to do that, stays on you, then you're just going to love Paul's words. And if you've never gone slowly over this passage, I really encourage you to do so. We're in chapter 20 and verse 18. Um, there's so much here, I'm not going to get it covered in one thread. It's a gold mine for anybody that loves God's sheep and wants to give your life to caring for them. And we're just going to do like part one in this thread and in the next thread. We'll pick up the rest of it. So we're going to talk about seven characteristics of pastoral ministry that gives you an impact on other people. I'm not, I am talking about pastoral ministry. I'm not necessarily talking about being a full-time pastor, which may or may not be your role, but that, you know, you can shepherd people and you can be a big brother, big sister. You can be a shepherd without having to be the leader of a church. Um, just by the willingness to take up the role. 
And so I, wanted, I want us to look at Paul's ministry because, I mean, he left a massive impact. We are believers today largely because of the work that Paul did in taking the gospel to Europe. Once he did that, and once he went to Asia Minor, the Christian movement spreads largely based on his efforts and based on the people that Paul raised up and the fact that they, they got it. They understood that not only are you called to preach the gospel, evangelize people, and disciple them to follow Jesus, but you are also called by God to take those disciples and raise them up so that they can be competent leaders. And, and you know, as Paul said it, the things that I taught you, I want you to pass on to other faithful people so that this uh, we keep passing it forward, okay? Uh, let's, let's look at verse 18. Paul says, You know from the first day I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. That's the first thing I want you to see. Know that people are primarily impacted by the daily manner of your life. It's not your words because they're honestly going to forget almost all of your words. Even if you're a great teacher, and the more, to be honest, because I mean, I, I really want to be a great teacher, and I have done my best to give people solid meat from God's word all my life, and uh, I've, I've stayed long term in every place I've ever been, and so there were very tearful farewells from my side and from their side. Um, but mm, although I get some comments on the teachings, people can't remember it. The teaching they get is the teaching of your life. It's your tone of just the way you are with people. Are you condescending or are you uplifting? Are you sacrificial? They're comparing your life to their life, and it's not your big gestures, and it is especially not your title, whatever that title is. So, you know, don't fight over getting yourself this awesome title and this positional thinking about leadership, it doesn't make a difference in people. What they watch is your manner of life. And Paul says, you have watched the manner of my life, and I have been careful about the manner of my life. That's the first thing. Second thing, shepherding requires you to bond with God's flock. And in that same passage, Paul said, I lived always among you. That's really important, you know, because Paul lived among them. And the power of your ministry flows according to your level of transparency and according to the level of your connection with the sheep. And some people just keep so much personal space around them and, you know, they, they, they just keep people at arm's length. They don't let them get close and, you know, you, you can stay there for years and you can you can really do hard work. But if you keep people away from you, it's that bond that allows your life to transfer to their life. You know, there's something about this transfer of spirit. I'm not going to talk about a real spirit transferring. I'm not even saying that happens. But I'm saying we catch mm, we catch a person's way. You know, it just gets on us and we want it. I know I do. I crave certain people. I want to get near them because I admire them so much. 
And I want that grace that I see in their life to rub off on me because I know my need. And these people are great examples. And they, you know, they call me deeper. So that's the second thing uh, I think that God wants us to see. The third thing is the core character trait required to impact other people is humility. You might not expect that. You know, you might think the core trait is boldness and the core trait is uh, conviction and determination and be the alpha leader. And, you know, there's a lot of competitive people out there and uh, an alpha person. They just know they're right and they love to be right, can't stand to not be right. And that doesn't mean that, that they impacted the spirit and the life of other people. Paul says in verse 19, you watched me serving the Lord with all humility. You know, Jesus washed feet. I watch leaders today and it really, you know, I'm troubled about it. I see Christian leaders who have bodyguards uh, and I'm not joking. I'm talking about men who talk into their sleeve on the microphone and the, you know, POTUS is coming to the pulpit and it's just nonsense. And all these huge Reverend Dr. Bishop, great high potentate, just ridiculous amounts of, uh, of it's, it's not even honoring from the people. This is stuff that's set up. Hey, I'm a minister. This stuff is set up by the minister themselves. And the only, that's the only way you make people bow and scrape at this level is you train them to be that way. But let me tell you, you, Anybody that would tolerate that nonsense, they're weak people anyway. And they're not going to be able to accomplish a whole lot. And you're not going to be able to accomplish much with them if you have a dream to actually make an impact on your city. Because the way you affect other people and the way you have a ripple effect in the world is not even through your life. It's through the life of your first level followers. You you get what I'm saying? You got to raise up like giant killers. What made David great was not that David killed Goliath and David led the great army. What made David great was he had 300 guys who were, when you read the stories of these men, you know, I love the expression, he jumped down into, think about it, he jumped down into a pit on a snowy day to fight with a lion. That's not talking about David. That's Benaiah. And you know, David had guys like that as his second level, this is what made him so awesome. And so you got to lead leaders. You know, leading drones is, uh, isn't going to go anywhere. So the point is, this isn't human leadership that we can model after the world. The job of the spiritual leader is to pass on the life, ministry, and teachings of Christ in an incarnational way. We have to live out the Jesus way among the people so it can infect them and then naturally spread to the others. So that's really an important lesson. All right, lesson number four. Again, verse 19. Lesson number four. All leaders must pass the test of suffering to influence other people. Paul says in verse 19, I was serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. You got to go through it. You got to pass through the the fire. You got to go through because, you know, it's when you're in your worst situation, everybody's paying attention. 
you know, we got ourselves into a financial crisis one time in a church I was leading, and it was innocently done. It was an honest, we can't know the future, and we couldn't know what global, um, the global economy was going to do. But we found ourselves with a debt that if we were just going to be low-character humans, we could have walked away from it and let the creditor claim the property that was put up as a bond for the debt because the property was only worth half of our debt. And I think a lot of business would would just say, oh, just default, you know, let them take that back. But when I heard the men at our table say, I heard one of them in particular say, if it takes us the rest of our lives, we're going to pay back this debt. And as soon as he said that, I felt something in my spirit. And it was it was like God was saying, you've already passed the test. Now you have to really walk out of this desert. Uh, and the desert, desert is, is a place where God takes people that he loves. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible that God drove someone that he uh, hated into the desert. He takes his people there to refine them. So you may be going through a desert place right now. And if you're the leader, you have to go through some deserts. You've got to go through some trials. Some people have to bail out on you. At the worst possible time, you know, you got to go through sufferings as a leader to leave a lasting impact. Okay, number five, great leaders choose their actions solely based upon what would be most beneficial to the flock. Let me say it again. Great leaders choose their actions solely based upon what would be most beneficial to the flock the flock. They're not thinking about what would be most beneficial to them personally, financially, what would benefit their children, what would benefit their wife. It's what would benefit the flock. When you're making choices about the leadership of God's people, you have to put God's people first. And in verse 20, Paul says, I kept back nothing that was helpful to you. I didn't hold anything back. I gave you everything. I kept back nothing that was helpful to you. Okay, that's number five. Number six, effective pastoral ministry requires a public and a personal context for ministry. I'll just read the verse. It's in that same verse 20. I kept back nothing that was helpful. I proclaimed it to you and I taught you publicly and from house to house. See, some people really get in love with the stage, um, and they just live for the stage. So they build their whole uh, ministry toward others on them, even if the stage is a home Bible study. It's them in the official chair getting to be the speaking person. But Paul says, yes, I did that because that is a vital ministry, but I also had quiet conversations one-on-one in small groups just casual talking with people. He said, I have, I have a set of values and I have a set of teachings and I have a set of things that God gave me to give you and I have done it publicly in the big, you know, the big talk and I've done it privately and personally. I don't change the subject. I am one person, I have one message and this is a private message, it's a personal message and it's a public message. And if you're going to affect other people, you have to have all of that. You, know, you can't uh, allow yourself to become a person that is just, you just exist for the public eye and then you bail out as soon as you can. You find your escape hatch and you don't ever really spend any time with anybody. And if you find yourself doing that, you know, sometimes you get tired as a leader and you pull back. That's, 
That's one thing if you're doing it to pace yourself. But if you catch yourself always doing that, you know, you just want to do your, uh, let me just teach and then I'm out of here. Let me just preach and then go out the back door. Uh, let me just minister and then I'm out, you know, let me cut out real fast. You have to find ways to push yourself forward more and say, all right, I got to I gotta schedule more time to be with people one-on-one because you need that. You got to have both contexts to leave a big impact. Okay, and number seven. Number seven, lives change when you faithfully preach a two-fisted gospel. When I say two-fisted gospel, I mean it can't just be uh, one-sided. You know, God loves you. God's going to bless you. God's going to help you. The real gospel, the one that'll let you fight the devil and fight the darkness, the gospel has a two-fisted message. The first one is repentance. Repentance toward God. You change your life. You get down on your knees. You admit that you're wrong. You bow yourself. You clean up your mess the best of your ability. Even if it costs you to do it, you do it. You repent. And we got to stop skipping that whole part of the message because it does not make disciples. If you're not humble and if you if you won't go through the eye of a needle, you know, you're not going to make it. Um but, you know, thank God that's not just a ministry of repentance and penance. It's a ministry of repentance toward God and faith in Christ. Verse 20, Paul says, I preached it from house to house. Verse 21, I testified to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The two-fisted gospel. Call people to repent. Repent yourself when you're wrong. That is a standard, central part of a Christian lifestyle is repentance. But just as important is faith. We are positive, faith-filled, Holy Ghost anointed. We believe in Jesus and his cause and his kingdom. We, we stand for the Lord. We've got big faith and we're moving ahead. So you can't just be a faith ministry if you're not also a repentance ministry. But you you can't be just a repentance ministry and keep everybody low. And, you know, every, I guess as a kid, I grew up with that a little bit too much. You know, we're just always repenting. But, you know, repentance didn't kill anybody. We just needed faith. You need the other side where, you know, where Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And he calls you and he anoints you and he gives you a, a life and a purpose. Hey, for people to grow like this, somebody's got to take care of them. And I really hope that hearing the example of the Apostle Paul will stimulate your faith and your excitement about spending your life as a caregiver in the body of Christ. Do these seven things and your life can have an impact on people. My personal goal is that there's a thousand people when I'm gone who will tell their life story and say, and then I met Chuck Quinley. He had such an impact on my life and I'm giving myself to that it's not something that's going to happen in a day. Um, I want to know the names of these people. I want a real relationship with them. Uh, but I want to nurture them. And that's, that's why I do this podcast, frankly. Um, I want to take everything that God gave me, and much of that came from other people, and I just want to take that and I want to pass it forward to the next generation because I'm really anxious to see more and more leaders, competent leaders, and caring leaders. I want to see the pastoral gift raised up and a shepherding spirit. I want, uh, I want the older, 
older sisters to care for the younger sisters and the older brothers to care for the younger brothers. I want people to look after each other, but in a, you know, in an, an authoritative way that you are called by God to take care of other people and build them up. It's an awesome life. I've been doing it all my life. It's so rewarding. And if you'll pour yourself into it, God will bless you and give you good fruit also. Well, if you want to send me a message personally, I'd love to receive it. Chuck at Quinley.com is my email address. And hey, if you haven't checked it out, check out MediaLightOnline.com. We've got an awesome new website that we've set up. It's going to serve you and bring you so much good training by video. So check that out. And I'll see you next time. Expect God to use you today. See you next time on Thread.